Every play, every musical, begins with some writer putting words on a page. Hello, and welcome to Stagecraft, the Broadway radio podcast that talks to playwrights and musical book writers about the shows they've created. My name is Jan Simpson, and it's great to be back with you now that the spring season is bringing us a whole new crop of fascinating plays, including the one we're talking about this week. Because joining me is Zora Howard, whose heartwarming new play, Stew, is making its world premiere in a page 73 production at the Walker Space in Tribeca, where it is running through February 22nd. Hello, Zora Howard. Welcome to Broadway Radio. Hi there. Thank you for having me. We're going to jump right in because I know you're very busy. Would you tell listeners what Stu is about? Stu is about four women, four kinswomen um, cooking a very important meal on one day. And of course, as it often happens when a family gathers together to cook, um, a lot of drama and a lot of emotions rise in the kitchen as they are making their way through the meal. Where'd you get the idea for this play? What's the genesis of it? I started writing this play back in 2014. I had just moved to San Diego, where I um, got my MFA in acting at UCSD, and I was there. It was my first semester, and it was also the time when the news about Tamir Rice's murder was made public and I had I'm from New York City so I just moved you know across the country I was there I felt quite alone Um, I didn't feel like I had much community just yet because I was so new to California and that news came out and I I kind of lost it a bit I didn't know what to do with myself I didn't feel like there was anyone close to me that I could process with and I remember really running outside of the building where I had my classes and looking for people um, and I call my mother because that's who I call. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was freaking out a bit. I, I remember like, hyperventilating. My breath was very short. And, you know, she kind of calmed me down and brought me back to center. And that experience of reaching for your mother or reaching for the women in your life to help you process and to help you heal mm-hmm. um, and get back to self, uh, especially when faced with trauma um, or tragedy, that is really where... The play began, um, particularly around the story of Tamir Rice, um, who was a little boy who was killed, who was murdered, shot by a police officer. And the video of that incident was released at the same time that the news of that incident, incident came out. There was a cell phone footage, which you know was kind of a, a trend of the time. In the video, you you hear and then see Tajai Rice, which was Tamir's um, older sister, running. Um, and then you see her recognizing that it was indeed her brother, and you just hear these screams, and you know it's really impossible to watch. And I couldn't get her voice or just her out of my mind for quite some time to think about what what her life must have been up until that day, and what her life would be every day after, um, and how for so many. Black people in this country, and particularly for so many black women, you know, to be hit with such a tragic event that sometimes feels inevitable, you know, the the violence that is enacted upon black bodies in this country, and at such a young age, and how, how, what, how do we expect these women, these young women, to move forward? So the, there's four women in this play, and one of the characters' name is Little Mama, and she's the, the, the child, the 
aspiring actor in in the play and um thinking about what ordinary how ordinary of a day she she might have been having up until that point is really kind of the the scene of the you know how we meet the women in this story where that really uh came from and so the focus was always on the women because really the violence and we're not even quite sure that it's violence takes place off stage yeah it was always the women um in my own experience again going back to speaking about my mother i come from a cooking family everybody <laughs> in my family is a top chef everybody maybe except except for me um, <laughs> i can cook but you know when so many other people are so willing and so good at it you know you kind of just hang out um, on the sidelines. Uh, but the, the kitchen was always kind of like the the center um, of activity and just everything in my household. And for special days, whether it be a holiday or there was some kind of function happening at the church or we were celebrating somebody in the family, everybody would gather in my mother's kitchen, her sister and my cousins and my grandmother and prepare this really ridiculous in, in scope uh, meal <laughs> um, for so many people. And I said, I don't even think my mother knows how to cook for a small amount of people, you know, but, the, but there was always so much, even though it's like, Hey, we're cooking, we're, we're celebrating something. Um, there was always so much tension in that kitchen because, you know, now you have different women with different styles of cooking and different ways of how, they think it should be done and nobody cooks with recipes. So there's no, you know, there's no one to check this up, you know, against. It's just like, no, this is what I remember. And, you know, everything's starting to become a mess and there's a whole bunch of noise and the kitchen is not particularly big. It's not like there's room for people to spread out and really have their corners. It's everybody's all up on each other and shoulders are bumping and, you know, so it's actually a, a, a source of anxiety. <laughs> in my upbringing as well, but also one of joy, you know. Well, it always was the women. That's not to say that the men in my family didn't cook. My, my brother's actually a professional chef now. That's what he does. Uh, so influenced he was by the, the kind of cooking that happened in my family. But I just really recall when the women were cooking in the kitchen, the men do best to stay out of it. I was going <laughs> to ask you, the men in their lives are obviously very important. There's a yes. central man in each of these four women's lives that they talk about. During the time that you were working on the play, did the men ever appear in the play or were they always off stage? They were always off stage. I think there was a, a version of the play where Junior was a little closer to home. I think, you know, sound is so important in this play. Um, and what we hear off stage, of course, is, is very important to the storytelling. I think there was an early, early draft of this play where um, we heard a, a basketball bouncing right outside the window, like as if there was a backyard. So the, the presence of Junior felt a little closer than it, it currently does. But uh, drama circles <laughs> that I work with, and they were like, well, why don't they just call him inside? And I was like, aha, I see. <laughs> we don't buy it. Okay. So we had to have him a little further than he was. So, But no, there was there was never a version where the men were um, written as characters that we hear from. There were some other choices that you made that were interesting as well, because this is a, a middle-class family. This isn't a poor family. 
why did you choose this particular family to set your story on? Again, writing from what I know, I grew up in Harlem, New York City, and that's kind of like where a lot of my, my childhood memories are is in Harlem, in the city. But then there was also my mother's family is from New Rochelle, Mount Vernon area, so a little further north. And the difference between what, you know, being out and playing in the street was in Harlem versus what it was playing in the street in Mount mm-hmm. Vernon. Is, and it was at that time in my life before I'd really been anywhere, I thought about Vernon was kind of like the country that, you know, there was single family houses and, and there were there were lawns. Mm-hmm. and backyards and, you know, wider streets and people had cars and driveways and stuff like that. So when we would go up there and spend time at my mother's godmother's house, I just have really vivid memories of playing in that house and the layout of that house. felt like what I saw on TV in terms of Burbia, um, but they were all black people. Sure, maybe we don't always see that uh, that depicted in media, mm-hmm. um, but that was very much my experience growing up. The black people live this way. Black people own homes and they have space and land and all of that. So that that was me just writing from a truth that I I know. I wasn't uh, in the writing of it intentionally trying to you know uh, make a statement about the way uh, black people live in this country, but just speak from a truth of mm-hmm. what I know to be how black families, some black families, do live. There's also. All four of the women uh, in the play have at one time uh, been involved in theater, community theater, mm-hmm. school theater, acting. Is that also from your, your own experience or why did you have that element? And particularly the fact that uh, Little Mama, the, the granddaughter the young mm-hmm. youngest character is working on a speech from Richard the <laughs> third yeah it's a it's <laughs> it's um an interesting choice uh Shakespeare choice for a 12 year old I know uh-huh. <laughs> um <laughs> but so not exactly from I mean I've always been involved in uh theater I've always been acting as long as I've been writing um and that really did start in uh, a family space or in a, a community space for me there was a organization down the block from my house called the Harlem School of the Arts and they mm-hmm. had classes in theater and dance and music and visual arts all of that you know and it was um at that time it was a school where they were just really offering this high level training to kids in the neighborhood, you know, and Harlem was a different place at that time. So these were black and brown kids. There were scholarship programs, again, this real, you know, conservatory based training. And I, I've been taking class there since I was, I just spent all my time there as a kid. Um, and at that time as well, there was a theater company that was based there at the Harlem school of the arts. And it was a classical theater company. And uh, because the, the school hosted or had that theater in residence, a lot of the young people who were involved with the theater program there had exposure, you know, and were oftentimes cast in that theater company's productions. Um, And because it was a classical theater company, they were doing a lot of Shakespeare. But I remember the first professional production I was ever in was the Scottish play. Again, Harlem, it was a different time. And at that time, that company really attracted a lot of black talent. So the first leading lady, the first Lady M that I ever saw was uh, this actor named Rosalind Ruff. Uh, She was absolutely electric on that stage. So the first time I heard Shakespeare, it was in the mouths of black women and black men. And that's the way I thought 
it was done because mm-hmm. I didn't have any other exposure. I didn't see anything else prior to that. So, you know, as a young, young artist, you know, I was like, oh, of course I can do this because she's doing it. She's like me. Uh, nobody's told me I cannot do it. Uh, so moving forward from that point, there was nothing for me to unlearn. And again, the kind of first character that this play really was born out of being Little Mama, you know, that was another truth that I was writing, that she was completely, you know, uh, enamored by the, the world of, of acting and performance. And, you know, she has her own you know, dramatic flair as well that she gets to flex a little bit, you know, and sometimes gets checked on uh, with the women of her family. But as they are family, it comes from somewhere. And I know my mother is uh, the most dramatic of them all. (laughs) (laughs) All my chops from my mother. Could you talk a little bit about the casting of this production? Because these women really come off as a family. Yeah. That is sometimes, I believe, in casting gods. And sometimes you just get blessed. Now, we we always knew it was going to be Portia. Portia was attached earlier in the process than the other women. And that... Um, you know, Portia that plays, was, plays the matriarch. Portia plays mama. Yeah, the matriarch mm-hmm. of the family. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and we, we, we kind of discussed that early on in our process, Colette Robert and I, who's the director, that because it's a family and because not only resemblance, but just kind of the chemistry of how these women, we really have to believe that they are of the same stock, that in the casting process, it was important to have mama first and then build from there to, because whoever we cast first was really going to dictate not just kind of a sensibility and kind of what they bring because these are actors, you know, and they can they can shift in that. But really in physical appearance, mm-hmm. also skin tone was a thing. You know, black people come in a range of, um, of colors and skin tones. So in knowing that we were casting Portia, that did dictate some of what the rest of the casting would look like. Not too much, but we knew we had Portia and that's where we began. And then, um, you know, the, the woman that played Nellie, Tony Lachelle Paulette, she... Um, she came in through the EPA, she she blew us away, and then we called her back in the room. And because we were working with Portia, Portia was so um, kind enough to uh, lend us her time for callbacks. Hmm. So these women got to read with Portia um, in, in some of these kind of more fiery scenes. And the and- EPAs being... Yes, this is an equity principle Mm -hmm. audition. So Mm -hmm. everybody that has an equity card can come in, you know, um, just like a general audition. You can come in, sign up for a slot, come into the equity offices and audition for, you know, these one, all these great productions. I I know I've done, (laughs) as a performer as well, I've done a number of EPAs (laughs) on a hope and a dream that, you know, it's so rare that you kind of get called in my experience, at least, it's rare that you get called back uh, from an EPA because usually a lot of these uh, companies, casting directors, are calling in people that they know or people that mm-hmm. they worked with before, et cetera. Um, but we just, she did something in that room and we, we brought her back in. So she got to read with Portia in the room. And, you know, it's just really beautiful. And I, as a performer in me, the actor in me was super excited um, that the rest of the team was excited about her. And then for the other two women, Nicole Salter, who plays Lillian, and Kristen Dodson, who plays Little Mama. Kristen had this amazing youthfulness, mm-hmm. um, but also spunk. And you just, she didn't want to stop 
watching her. And that's kind of, I think, the experience that we have with Little Mama, the play, is kind of just watching her on stage. Even when she's not speaking, she's just bursting with uh, expression. And, and then Lillian is super unique because while she's not the matriarch of this household, she is a matriarch of her own. And, and that challenge and that tension between Lillian and Mama um, and the nuance of that is super important to track. You know, there's so many different levels and layers to it. Um, so finding the right actor who could um, illuminate those layers uh, was super important to us. So we are so, we're over the moon with the four women that are, are helping us make this stew. They are killing it every single night. And it's no, it's no like small order, you know, what we're asking them to do. It is a lot of choreography and then there's the emotion of it. Um, and there's the, the other layer of the play that we're, you know, mm-hmm. seeding throughout that is, uh, you know, maybe under the kind of drama that is sitting on top. That There's just, I mean, shout out to all actors. Did you consider playing one of Mama's daughters yourself? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, with this, I, I was just really excited about sitting in the playwright's chair on this project. Mm-hmm. Who knows, maybe one day down <laughs> the road, there'll be a production and I can play a Lillian or a mama who knows it, or maybe even a Nelly, you know, if I drink my water and time is good to me. Um, but no, I, I think it's very difficult. I know a lot of people do it, but I wanted to, especially because this play was new and there was a lot that we were mm. trying to do with it be able to serve it fully as a, as a writer. And, 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 you know, when things came up and questions came up and rewrites came up and all that stuff in that process, I was very excited about just being present and doing that one thing. And being uh, an actress yourself, how did that influence the writing? I'm assuming, and maybe I'm wrong, that being a performer, it gave you into some insight into what the role should be. Yeah, I, um, I, you know, I speak my characters aloud. I hear them. They're, they're with me when I'm going to the grocery store, when I'm doing laundry. <laughs> Can't turn them off. So I guess, you know, because these, these words are always written to be spoken aloud, um, you do the, the tonality and the inflection and where there's space and pause and silence and all those things and how that sits on a body you do I mean at least in the way that I write I do imagine all of those things I'm thinking about mm-hmm. even down to staging I'm thinking about what this space looks like that I'm, I'm having these characters live in and how they move uh, around this space and how that affects stage direction all of those things are very much part of my writing process you know I do um, I hope that my writing for an actor is it feels very uh that there's there's enough for them or there's more than enough for them to kind of play with and and fall into and um inhabit because that's the that's the most exciting stuff to work on as you know my from my own experience as an mm-hmm. actor is the stuff where you can really just take up space and um move around with it you know uh so big chunky stuff to to work with is what I'm always hoping to, and, and big characters is what I'm hoping to, to bring to the page. Um, and then when those actors actually do show up on day one and they're real, <laughs> and they're not <laughs> in your head anymore, then there's a whole other part of it that's super exciting that I try to honor. They are going to, without a doubt, bring their own, it's more than flair, they're bringing their full selves to these characters. Um, and 
because you are just one person and you just, you know, have one mind, they're going to bring something beyond what you could have ever imagined. They, but if you lean into it, I, this is what I've learned, you know, in leaning into it, the play has become so much stronger. And they have been so generous, these actors, all of the artists involved in this project, but these actors have been so generous in um, giving over of their creativity, you know, their talent, sure, but just like their, their selves, really. That's what it is, you know, I think. Uh, and that's the highest honor that they'd be willing to give themselves over to this vision and to this story. Well, you two have been have been generous both with your time and talking to us about it, but most especially with this uh, really impressive play. Um, it's uh, a family that I think many people can identify with on many levels. And um, so I want to thank you for it, and, and we want to thank you for talking to us about it, too. Oh, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back next time and that you'll consider supporting this show and all the other Broadway radio podcasts with a contribution via our Patreon page. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can find the page and some extras at patreon.com slash broadwayradio.